Hi there, and welcome to What Happens Next with Ben and Philip. I'm Ben. And I'm Philip. There was a slight delay there, my friend. Have you had too many beers already? Just a couple of crafties from the local. (laughs) Okay, mate, I'll read you something here from this article, and I'll give you a quote here. With uh, autonomous cars, it'll change cities because we need 90 to 95% less cars for things to work. We can transform former parking spaces into parks. Now, 1.2 million people die each year in car accidents worldwide, whereas in 2020, we'll now have one accident, or I guess 20 years in the future, we'll have one accident every 100,000 kilometres, i.e. every 60,000 miles, with autonomous driving, that will drop to one accident in 6 million miles or 10 million kilometres. So, allegedly, wow. we'll save a million lives each year. What do you think? What happens next? Is that a realistic prediction as to what the impact will be of autonomous cars? No. Why? I think that people will definitely use them like car sharing and Uber have proved that a lot of people are choosing not to own a car and you can quite easily get by without one, particularly in the inner city. But not everyone lives in the inner city and it's going to take a long time for ride sharing or or Uber type services or autonomous car services to get all over the place. And they're still going to, people are still going to want a car for driving to a holiday somewhere or driving long distances. But this is talking about self-driving cars that you may own yourself. So not oh, necessarily sorry. just Uber cars, yeah. but your own car. But if you have if you own a self-driving car, why would you not need to park it somewhere? I think it's a combination of both. I think it's that those that do have cars that are self-driven cars, they'll be less inclined to suffer an accident because if there are more self-driven cars working in conjunction with each other, then you're increasingly removing the element of human error. Mm. There'll also be people who will decide to take advantage of Uber-like self-driven cars as well as a service. You know, if I lived outside of the city and I had to, you know, drive for an hour and a half along a freeway to get to work every day and to get a train would take twice as long and it's just not feasible, but I could sit in the back seat while my car drove me to work and I was more productive and I could do some some work from the back seat, make a few calls, do a bit of typing or something, you know, maybe I'd be more inclined to, to take up the service. But I just think that it's going to... I think he's a bit simplistic with some of his predictions and how quickly... I think he's assuming that people are going to catch on and, and, and take up this technology and change their whole way of life. Whereas if you look at historically, people are very slow to do that. I think that with all of these types of predictions by many theorists, academics, entrepreneurs, they tend to talk about these events in absolutes, whereas I think technology is more complementary. What often happens is a form of tech complements existing analog technology And it may gradually erode and replace it, but it's never like a light switch on-off moment. Like fashion, for example. When fashions come in, people don't suddenly get rid of all their furniture and suddenly change to the new furniture of the decade. There's this slow turnover where you might remove one couch, one dining table over 20 years or something like that. So, in relation to cars, 
I think what will happen is there will be definitely an erosion of the current model, but not absolutely, because we've seen already with the prevalence and the affordability of automatic cars, people still want to drive manual because they like being in control. They like controlling the torque on the car for the thrill of driving fast or accelerating quickly, or they enjoy using the gears to try and brake. I think autonomous cars will be the same. People will still want to have a sense of control and some will be more happy to see control than others. Here's something interesting, and this relates to me as a daily public transport commuter. One of the predictions, I think, of autonomous cars is that people will have a different reliance on their location. So if people can work productively in their own car, just as people work often on trains or buses, they can live further away from the workplace or from the centre of a city. And therefore, it's like telecommuting, but on a micro scale. Yeah, that's what I was sort of getting at before. I think people already do that. Like people who live, for example, in Barrel or Gosford or Wollongong and commute to the city for an hour and a half, two hours on the train, I'd say more than half of them would get the laptop out and work for an hour on the train, at least one direction per day, because due to the how far away they live, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're only, they've got to knock off at five, which is probably quite early for a lot of these people. So, I don't know that people are going to go, oh, great, I can, I'll move two hours away and just get a driverless car. It's having to work every day. Like, you've still got that time you're still spending that time getting to and from work. Maybe he's sort of alluding to there'll be more flexible work living arrangements. So, you, you can say, oh, you know, you can, you can work four half days a week or something because you're going to spend four hours a day in the car working. I mean, I don't know. You're not driving along a perfectly smooth straight road either. It's not like sitting at a desk. You are in a car. There are distractions. You are bouncing around a bit. Yeah, I'm sorry to poo-poo this guy's brilliant ideas, but as you said, I don't think that there's going to be a, a light switch moment where everyone goes, yeah, jump in my automated car. I think that everyone's going to be curious and, and there'll be a, a long process while people try and change over, you know, as how long have Prius has been around for, you know, and how many of them are, are there actually on the road? Not that many, really. I think it's a shame that more, say, taxis aren't Priuses like they are in a lot of countries. But, you know, like that kind of thing, it all takes a long time. I think it comes down to the ubiquity of anything. There's a tipping point when something like Netflix, which really started pushing streaming on demand, video on demand, became pretty common and became normal for people. But initially, it was something that only people with a fast internet connection or someone people who weren't adverse to tech embraced totally but now people who once stuck with dvds have happily embraced netflix because it's cheap for example and other similar video on demand streamers i think in relation to the commuting thing like this guy says there are elements to it that will happen but at the end of the day if you do at work at nine o'clock you do at work at nine o'clock and for many people that's the case so this whole romantic idea that You can get to work later, leave earlier and spend two hours in traffic to live in some idyllic farm and then work for two hours in the car that drives itself. In theory, could work for many people, but for many, many workers in the lower kind of 
half of the hierarchical working pyramid, they're not given that option for flexible working hours. And particularly if you work in, say, retail or banking, like you're due at work at a certain time and business starts on the hour. And a lot of people's jobs aren't conducive to being performed outside the office. Yeah, it's hard to diagnose cancer sometimes if you can't actually be there with the person to ask them their symptoms. Yeah, but according to old mate, there's some, isn't there some app for that now? Apparently, there's an app for everything. Are we getting to that? Or we got- uh, yeah, there is, apparently. Oh, yeah. We, have we- yeah. Isn't there some health check thing? Well, one of the interesting things here is that they think that with the abundance or the increase focused in solar energy and less reliance on fossil fuel, with cheap electricity comes cheap and abundant water. Because then you can run desal, desalination plants. They only require, you know, 25 cents for a cubic metre. So, therefore, water won't be scarce and, therefore, that can basically raise the standard of living all around the world. That seems pretty feasible. Like, if I was to say what happens next if you increased the availability and affordability of electricity, I could see that could be a logical extension and, therefore, that raises the playing field for many nations where water is black gold. It's like a commodity that's very hard to attain. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a... That's definitely a valid point. And that's, I think that's probably one area where this guy is probably hitting the mark with his predictions. I, I was surprised at the desalination point because we've got one in Sydney that was built and has never been turned on and, and costs some phenomenal amount of money to maintain every year just in case. So why was it built? The dam that supplies most of Sydney's water at the time was pretty dry. And um, the government wanted to be seen to be doing something about it and they needed a project and they were pretty keen on it and it was pushed through. I don't think there was any legislation passed about it and they just did it and then it hasn't stopped raining since. So if the dam is the first wife, the starter wife, the desalination unit is the mistress, but in this case, the mistress that isn't actually tapped on the shoulder for cheeky nights out. Just, Just lying there dormant. Just waiting for the phone call. <laughs> oh, but the poor D cell. I want to say it costs ten million dollars a year to maintain, but it must be more than that. It must be more than that. But All right, it's never actually been fired up in anger. Let me do a quick segue here. Let's segue. Got a segue? Sure. That's the alternative title to this show. Segway show. I understand why many people try and avoid pain tax. Because I read today that our local government is going to spend tens of millions of dollars because the train that they ordered is apparently too wide for our tracks. I'm not sure if we've we've discussed this before or not, but I do not understand if you've got hundreds of people working in a department in transport anywhere in the world, and that's all you do. That's the only fucking job that you do, which is to do transport trains trams buses planes whatever how something as fucking basic as making sure the length width of the vehicle fits on the road or the track i understand if you decide consciously to do it like you decide that you want to go with a new train and you therefore have to make the called upgrade an old part of line but when it's a reoccurring mistake or an oversight that's to me like a screw-up 101. I saw the article. I didn't read it. But does that mean that the 
train that they had ordered to run on this new track that they've built won't fit on the new track. Correct. And is the train being made especially for this new track? Or has it already been made? No, the train I think is more like a standard. It's a standard train? Yeah. And is the track the same standard gauge that the rest of the network runs on? That's what I believe. Yeah, that's uh, troublesome. I understand if there are circumstances where you've got to make a call to upgrade at some stage. I get that. But when it's an oversight or a surprise, that's the part I'm unforgiving about. It's like, had you not realised this could possibly happen? We are spending billions and billions and trillions of dollars to build a new train line. The two things that had to be the main focus in building that train line is what sort of train are we going to have and what sort of track does it run on? Like, fuck, mate. It's not like I would have thought that would be the first thing you looked at and you ticked that off, made sure that's right. And you go, okay, where can we run this train line? My son is four. My youngest son is four. He understands that Duplo doesn't connect with regular Lego and doesn't connect with Technics. Three versions of Lego that don't actually connect to each other incompatible he's four he's four yeah i know i spent so many years believing in the value of tax for things like public education for infrastructure for healthcare. but when i see it pissed away like that that's what really rubs me the wrong way and what's the what's the bottom line damage to the to the coffers on this one Did, did they say or they haven't worked it out yet this is the interesting thing. I deliberately didn't inform myself by reading the dollar value because I was so annoyed. I actually decided to not read any further because I thought, you know what? I'm going to read the figure. It could be 10 million or 1 billion. And I'm just going to be annoyed because it's a waste of money. And whatever size that waste is, I'm just going to be annoyed. So I deliberately just closed the browser and just try to tune out. For our local listeners out there, which train line was was this? Is this the the Norwest one? Or? This is the Blue Mountains Lithgow Blackheath line. <laughs> really? Are they putting a new train line out there? No, it's an existing train. It's replacing the existing train. Right. Okay. Yeah. Isn't isn't there one already? Oh, so this is an old track. Yeah. Oh, it's an old track, and they're putting a new train on it. Yeah. Oh, so it's not one of these new train lines that they're building. No. Okay. They're replacing the track to fit the new train. And it's a, it's a regional train. The old track, well, apparently it's a commuting train. The old track is Duplo, and they've got a Technics train. It won't fit. I know. But they wish they just kept the old train. Yeah, I know. Exactly. All right. Next prediction. There's something in the healthcare business called the Tri-Quarter X that will be announced this year in 2017. And there are companies working on this medical device apparently inspired by star trek and it works with your phone must be like an app of some sort which takes your retina scan your blood sample and your breath into consideration to try and assess your health so what happens next in that world i mean that all makes sense to me doesn't it with the proliferation of smart watches and phones being close to your skin and fitbits and so on makes it, it that seems like a very natural evolution of contemporary health monitoring it does but i'm skeptical as to how accurate it is well apparently apple's working on a version of a new apple watch that can read the glucose levels if you're diabetic through your skin without actually penetrating your skin Hmm. so you know when your levels are soaring or falling 
That's pretty interesting. So, it'd be a watch targeted to diabetics or that would just be one feature of it? I think the latter in that they'll assume other features as well, like they just bought a sleep company recently that specializes in sleep monitoring. Right. This is a thing. Apple have. Yeah. This is the thing is that baby boomers are a very large demographic. They're getting older. If you can basically put some sort of health monitoring device on their wrist, makes sense. My biggest fear with all that sort of thing is that people become slight versions of being, what's the expression, you know, if you're- Hypochondriac. Exactly. Unnecessarily. Like, oh my God, my heart's going fast. Yeah, that's because you're stressed or you're exercising. Totally. So, I think my biggest worry, though, is that somehow that information gets to health insurance companies. That's what happens next, I think, that the more that you increase the availability of health information, which is ostensibly for the benefit of the customer, of you and I, I can just see how so easily that metadata initially will be anonymous and later there'll be some sort of process where you perhaps might get free benefits if you give away your information with your name attached. And ultimately, you're in a situation where you can't get insurance or pay massive premiums because, surprise, surprise, you actually need healthcare. Yeah, or if you choose not to provide your health service provider with the data from your Apple Watch, then, you know, you're not eligible for some sort of kickback rebate thing. They'll probably do this thing. This is what they'll do. They'll basically, there'll be various insurance providers that will give you an Apple Watch. Yep. Do you remember back in the day, yep, if totally. you joined a health fund, they'd give you a free pair of trainers? Yeah. Or a voucher for full locker or something. Yeah. Yep. So, they give you an Apple Watch. Everyone goes, great, freebie. They track your data that affects your premiums. Yep. And they work out or they, yeah, they use that for their their modeling, their pricing modeling, and as well as, you know, if they want to specifically target you for your premium, they would. So, you end up paying directly or indirectly, but either way, you end up paying more. Either way, you get fucked. Fucking insurance. That's a good point, though. I, I can see that happening with, um, as this, you know, these health apps and health technologies and stuff. That's what, that's what all these, that, that's the end, that's, that's where the money the money is really. I mean, a consumer may pay three bucks for an app to monitor their blood their blood sugar level, but the real value of it is in for a health insurance company or someone like that who where that sort of information on mass is really, really valuable to their bottom line. And I don't know. I think that happens a lot with technology. Like it's sort of it's often it's it's created with, with good intentions, but then a creative thinker or a venture capitalist company goes, Well, yeah, that's all well and good, but the real worth of this is in that. You go, oh, yeah, okay. Well, apparently the greatest worth in most companies is in their data. So, Facebook, YouTube sell their data to advertisers yep. Yep. to then help the advertisers target their specific demographics. Yeah. I can just imagine the same thing applying in some capacity with driving or Let's think of any form of insurance, any way they can get your data to assess how fast you drive, where you tend to drive. It could, could be a great way to try and inform as to they your could, risk. They could, or, 
and then they could also work out which major billboards you drive past, or which which you know potential advertising areas you drive past, and what your disposable income is, and what type of ads you'd like to see as you drive to work. Or well, we've discussed in the past how Apple's revenue is increasingly coming from services, not hardware. Like for example, music subscription through Apple Music. The logical thing there is Google and Apple start selling that information about Google Maps or Apple Maps to advertisers, yeah. to insurance companies. And people always give that stuff away because as we increasingly live in a society where people have kind of given up on privacy and privacy yeah. is something you've got to elect into opposed to there being the assumed starting point, then I could see people just happily accepting something for free in exchange for their data being sold with their name attached and that then indirectly screwing them later on down the track when it comes to, for example, insurance premiums for their house, for their car, for their health. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I welcome it if it's more targeted than the general form of discrimination based on age. I was always a safe driver when I was a young driver, yet the cost of insurance for me was disproportionately high Hmm. because of all the dickheads around me who were also young but driving irresponsibly, causing accidents, driving up the premiums. Mm -hmm. If there was a way to make it that I paid less that was targeted more on my responsible driving than paying for the idiocy of my demographic, I'd be cool with that. But I also feel I would also be disadvantaged in some way I can't quite think of now but some sort of big brother scenario where there's too much information about where I travel, how fast I travel, when I travel. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I find all that quite daunting and quite quite scary about how much we're being observed in everything that we do. So, 3D printing. This is interesting. What are your thoughts on 3D printing? There's been a lot of talk for the last five years about it being the saviour or a reinvention of manufacturing. What do you know about it and what do you think about it? Oh, let me just read you out some basic stats first to inform your answer. The price of the cheapest 3D printer came down from $18,000 to $400 within 10 years. And at the same time, it's become 100 times faster. And all of the major shoe companies are already starting to print 3D shoes. Here are some more facts. Airplane parts, of all things. So, you think think of airplanes being something that requires the highest standards of structural integrity and safety are being 3D printed in remote airports. And the space station now has a printer that eliminates the need for the large amount of spare parts they used to have in the past. And at the end of this year, 2017, new smartphones will have 3D scanning possibilities. So, you can scan your foot and then print your perfect shoe at home. And in China, they've already 3D printed and built a six-story office building. And by 2017, and by 2027, 10% of everything that's produced will be 3D printed. That's 10 years away. Can you explain to me what... I've got no idea what it is. Oh, really? I gather that you you can make something that you can hold in your hand. And I've heard that you can 3D print a gun, or at least a replica gun, but... Why would you want to 3D print a shoe? So, you're right about the gun. You can actually 
there was actually this whole drum where people started distributing plans because basically 3D printers use plans like blueprints of houses, architectural plans, but it's like a, you know, a code, a menu, a formula. And there was an instance where someone 3D printed a gun and I think all the parts were printed except for some vital metal bits like a spring, for example, and gunpowder, obviously. So basically, it's a three-dimensional structure like a coffee Do you table. Mean bullets? What did I say? Gunpowder. <laughs> well, you need gunpowder in the bullet, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you basically have a structure is a size. I thought someone 3D printed a musket. <laughs> yes. You'd also like 3D print a crossbow as well. <laughs> And a guillotine. Hmm. So, what's it made of? So, it's like a photocopier. It's, it's a device that's the size of a coffee table. And you insert a big chunk of plastic or layers of plastic. And it basically builds it like if you've seen a science fiction movie where you see something being built like in layers, like in yeah. the fifth element. Yeah, that, that's, what I'm, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Does that mean that people are wearing like plastic shoes, rubber shoes? That's the part I find really confusing. I yeah. think so, like Crocs. Or you at least perhaps do orthotics, orthotics, orthotics and the soles. But, I mean, obviously, if you've got canvas or leather, you still need that. But I think people will increasingly use plastic because they can. Mm. I don't know how it works with, like, even the shoelaces or the Velcro, for example. Mm. But there are elements of shoes that they will increasingly make out of plastic not because perhaps that's the best thing to use, but because they can, it's cheap and it's custom made. Oh, I think there's a big future in it, but I just I just can't see people. I think for sort of more industrial uses, definitely I can see a need for it and, and a take up. I just can't see people 3D printing their own shoes and wearing around some plastic bloody slip-ons. Uh, I, I mean, think- you can buy a pair of shoes for so cheap, like. Yeah, I think it'll be like home printers. Mm-hmm. People still go to stationery stores to get printers, photographs printed on bulk. People still try and cheekily use their much more expensive, better quality laser printer at work to print photos because their photographs printed at home look crappy. I think it'll be like having your own affordable printer at home and you buy a good printer at the time, don't quite use it as often as you think, but you have it as a thing to have. I bought a printer once. I never, ever used it. See, that's the thing is that the cost of perhaps going to a local hardware store and buying a replacement part could be more convenient than actually printing one at home because if you factor in the cost of the plastic, which is the equivalent of ink, it could be really expensive. Like my printer, for example, in fact, most printers... They're sold like Hyundai's or cheap cars. They make their money from the freaking ink, which costs more than the actual printer. Yep. And 3D printers could be the same. So, if I'm at home and I've got a loose gate on my house and I realize, oh, there's a screw missing. Oh, I don't want to go to the hardware store and buy a whole packet of screws. I just need one screw. I'll just get my 3D printer and I'll 3D print a screw. I suppose you could do that. And that's exactly one of the needs they're talking about, particularly in remote areas where you can't go to the hardware store. The part I don't get is that so many spare parts I think of are metal. 
So unless this plastic is the strength of metal, which I can't believe it is, but maybe it is, then I can't quite see this cutting through and going mainstream. That's what I was thinking, like, when you're talking about spare parts, I was thinking, what plastic spare parts are, like, sort of, you know, rubber washers or, like, some sort of plastic lining on something? Maybe you could use it for, but, oh, well, another one I'll I'll happily be proved wrong, but I just can't see it having a huge take-up at the moment. And I don't, you know, his stats about the drop-in price, that's great, but what does that actually mean over 10 years? I don't know. And how does that compare with, say, mobile phones? I think his point is that, what seemed like some earth-shattering, groundbreaking technology is now extremely accessible for everyone. But I don't know anyone who owns a 3D printer, do you? No, I don't. It's definitely a hobbyist thing now, and even at 400 bucks, it's still a hobbyist thing. When I've discussed 3D printers with people, they just don't understand why they would need it and how regularly they would use it. Like, I've seen people use these printers to create little sculptures of goblins or chess pieces like little mini figurines Mm. great but none of those things are functional it's a novelty it's when it becomes actually functional that it cuts through to the mainstream so i can see it having value but i think again we're back to complementary not a replacement yeah all right the next point he bravely makes is that 70 to 80 percent of jobs in the future will disappear in the next 20 years And even though there'll be a lot of new jobs, here's a cliched example, obviously the increase in solar power technology will create more jobs that can somewhat offset the loss of old school fossil fuel jobs like working in the coal mine. What do you reckon? Because it's not clear if there'll be enough jobs, new jobs, to make up for the loss of old jobs. But 70 to 80%, does that mean that... We're all unemployed and struggling to make ends meet? Or is it like Norway or parts of the Middle East where everyone's like living off this massive public teat and having sort of five-day weekends? I think one place where there will be a lot of jobs is nursing homes based on this guy's predictions. I mean... And 3D printing uh, incontinence pads. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we're not going to be crashing our cars, so... We're going to be living longer on average and then we're all going to have these health screening apps on our phones. So, we'll constantly be monitoring our own health. So, we'll never get sick and if we do, we'll get treatment available right away. So, we're going to live for a long time. So, there's going to be a big demand for assisted living facilities for all these old people because they're never going to die. So, I'm not sure what jobs he's talking about, but I do think that there are huge industries which have been wiped out of certain countries based on changing economic conditions and, and accessibility to, say, cheap labour in, in India or, or, or Southeast Asia or those kind of places. The rise of, say, Chinese car manufacturing or Korean car manufacturing at the, at the expense of, say, American or, or European car manufacturing has meant that, you know, whole industries have been affected in seemingly untouchable countries like America, American manufacturing and, you know, their their farming sectors are hugely supported by the government as are ours. And, and I think those kind of changes to the job market are still going to continue to happen with new technology, but also new, I guess, accessibility to different areas of production or different, different means of production. For example, Uber means that 
all the taxi drivers are going to be without a job. It's like, well, okay, maybe. Is that the kind of thing that this guy's talking about? Or I think it's all of those things. I think it's robots replacing humans in jobs that can be done more efficiently and safely by robots. I think it's artificial intelligence replacing humans in jobs where they can learn trends Mm. and therefore assess patterns to try and work faster and more accurately. Like we've discussed in the past how allegedly, you know, lawyers should quit now because apparently if it's a profession based on precedent, it's something that machine learning can try and take over. Uh, There's talk here, for example, that there'll be $100 a $100 agricultural robot in the future. So if you're in a third world country as a farmer, then basically the farmers start becoming managers, not actual farmers, and the robots become the farmers. So they manage their fields with a fleet of robots, which sounds like one of those science fiction movies. I mean, I guess... What does that do? The robot like digs the soil, waters the soil? Not sure, but I suppose drones are a good example of that already. Drones being used for small farms in relation to both watering, pest control, monitoring for birds, that sort of thing. But I'm assuming, I guess, there'd be land-based drones that do digging and sowing and are now just using random verbs to try and suggest I have some sort of idea as to how to farm. Picking, harvesting. (laughs) Irrigation. (laughs) Well, this is a funny thing. Speaking of farmers... I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this prediction in terms of what happens next in relation to food. Because apparently with aeroponics, we'll need less water, even though we can with solar power create more water. So, not sure how that works. But anyway, and the first Petri dish recently has produced veal that is cheaper than cow produced veal in 2018. So, if right now, in 2017, 30% of all agricultural services are used for cows, just imagine if we don't need that space anymore. And so, basically, you can grow veal on a Petri dish. And complement that, several startups in the US and in Europe are actually trying to bring insect protein to the market right now as a meat alternative. So, you've got a combination of A, growing meat scientifically and b harvesting different types of animals that are untapped such as bugs for meat for protein i mean that seems all practical like always it seems like a complementary transitional process the bugs actually seem much more likely and are actually happening right now the veal one seems like that's a long way away yeah i think that there's there will be as you say as these new technologies or new products are uh, more accessible and more cheaply produced, they will be more accessible to consumers. But I think ultimately people are still going to eat what they're used to and what they like and they're not just they're not going to just pass up. Unless, you know, something drastic happens and, and there's a big cow plague and they all die out. But I think that otherwise, which did happen almost in the UK, but I think it's, it's going to take some time. You know what? I'm seeing a trend here with all of these predictions for the future with, you know, the end is nigh or this is how jobs will disappear and how we'll artificially grow meat in a Petri dish. If that does happen, 
there will always be a market for nostalgia in the same way that you can buy the safest Mercedes or safest Hyundai right now, which has double airbags, ABS brakes, Bluetooth radio to connect with your smartphone, yada, yada, yada. People still buy classic cars. I can just imagine, for example, that if petri dish grown meat becomes ubiquitous, it becomes the fast food of now. It becomes the cheap alternative. So people might perhaps go to an organic store or go to restaurants to have real meat. So if you go to a restaurant now and have good quality meat, in the future, perhaps you might go to restaurants or go to specialist sort of grocers to get real meat. Yeah. And it'll be like, say, eating novelty steaks or novelty vegetables in, say, Japan or something. Like Wagyu. Where, where you buy mango from the fruit vegetable store in Japan. It's in like a beautiful little wooden crate. And it costs like, you know, equivalent of $28 or something. It might be a bit like that. Oh, I can totally see that. I think you're right there. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. Like they're watermelons wrapped up. Yeah. As an event. As yeah. an event food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a possibility. Apparently, there'll be an app called Moody's which can tell which mood you're in. So, by 2020, there'll be apps that will tell your facial expressions. So, if you're lying, it'll be more obvious. I guess that's possible and that seems quite realistic. What are your thoughts? I mean, with body language, I'm always a believer in it, but I'm also skeptical because generalizations become sweeping. And if someone's cold and they fold their arms to try and stay warm, people go, oh, that person's very defensive. You know, they're truly, they're trying to hide their emotions and they're lying. No, they're just folding their arms because they're cold. That's my concern with an app called Moody's or something like that. Yeah, but and, and again, like, how's it going to work? Are you going to be sitting there with your mate and you're just going to be holding the phone up to his face and be like, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm just seeing if you're lying. No, you'd be wearing, like, say, Google glasses or Snapchat glasses yeah. and they'll interpret your mate's face in front of you. Yeah. Actually, you know what? If you'll go to restaurants in the future and eat real meat, then you'll go to cafes or restaurants that ban so smart glasses where you have to talk to someone Yep. without some sort of digital interface mm. interpreting or complementing your relationship. This will be a thing. Going forward in the future, it's like minimalism now or it's about meditation, is that increasingly you'll go to places and pay a privilege to strip away tech yeah. so you can have a more authentic meal, authentic conversation. There'll be like even resorts and they'll pride themselves where everything's authentic. The grass is real. The veal is real. The rock melon's real. There's no tech. It's all about authentic. Or even more simply than that, you go to a restaurant and you can't take a phone. You can't have a you can't have a phone sitting on the table while you're eating, and no one can be looking at their phones. No one's taking photos of their fucking food. You know? Yeah. See, I like that idea, but I think that would have happened already by now if that was a thing. Yeah, but I think you could get to that point. See, I think your phone is a bit different from smart glasses because if someone's wearing smart glasses, they're like a cyborg adding to the experience, like reading your LinkedIn profile whilst they look at you on a Tinder date. Yeah. I just feel if that was a thing that people wanted, which I think, by the way, is a great idea, I just think it probably would have happened already. Yeah, it's not such a big deal, really. But, Uh, you know, I mean- I don't think people are going to pay for it. I don't think there's a business opportunity there setting up phone-free restaurants, but I'm just saying. I could see that there being a cafe where it's like, I'm sorry, sir, we're, we're phone-free now. You'll need to put that in this box and you can come and get it when you're ready to leave. 
Leave your umbrella and your phone at the door. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. It's like that scene in The Dark Knight, the Batman film, where you've got to check in your phone with the concierge and the foil mm. before going upstairs. Mm. Look, minimalism is a massive trend right now because people feel overwhelmed. They're trying to get back to basics, clearing their head, decluttering their life, being less materialistic, being more focused on authentic connections with people. To me, I can just see minimalism increasing more beyond an ideology, almost to a religion, which is in some ways what Buddhism is or any meditation-based religion where people are trying to just have a more simple, authentic connection, a more harmonious, cohesive relationship with each other or themselves. And there'll be those people in one direction going, gimme, gimme, gimme. The people who are on every social media platform right now who are absorbing information rapidly will probably gravitate towards more of that. And I think others will get burnt out and go in the other direction. There could be, interestingly, a tech class war. What do you think of that? Could that happen next? Could there be a divide between yeah. people? Not that they're Luddites, but it's a conscious choice. They, they, they are technically savvy. They use virtual reality at work and augmented reality to do meetings in the office and stuff. But as much as they possibly can, they reject tech when not required. So, they're educated, tech literate, but they choose not to. Do you see that being what could happen next as a possible trend? Yeah. There could be a whole subclass of people who were just, they just refuse to learn. Are they a subclass though? Or are they, you know, in Game of Thrones, like these kind of snobbish priest-like figures that just decide to be above that? They're above the idea of wearing uh, virtual reality glasses by day. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. Because you'd fall into that category. Like, you're someone who has oh. abandoned social media now. And also, when you're talking about, about, you know, tech savvy, like, I'm just so not tech savvy at all. But you have the capacity to be tech savvy if you wanted to. You just don't want to invest your time in that. You have the mental capacity and the skills Maybe. if you want to. No, you do. Like, Maybe. you do. You're being modest. Like, you have the potential to have expertise in that field but you don't value it enough to I've only, invest in. I've only just started using like Bluetooth in the car. You've been listening to Smooth FM or something <laughs> yeah, like that? Yeah, And now I've been listening to my own podcast in the car. It's quite good. Oh, so the irony is that narcissism, is, <laughs> narcissism has encouraged you to embrace tech. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not self-driving. I'm still driving myself. I'm not autonomous at the moment. But So you're self-driving and self-obsessed. Yeah. Boom. And I'm, I haven't moved out into the country, so I can work on my commute yet, but that's going to happen. Move out there with Teddy the dog and just have those long walks after work, after working for two hours on your self-driven Audi on the way home. Yeah, that's right. But I get, that means I can have it at eight o'clock at night. It'll be dark. Time to eat some Petri dish veal <laughs> before I go to bed. <laughs> Here's another prediction here in relation to education. The cheapest smartphones are already at $10 in Africa and Asia. And by 2020, 70% of all humans will own a smartphone. That means everyone has the same access to world-class education. What does he mean by that? I mean, does he mean they'll have access to Google, Wikipedia? 
Yeah, I think so. But to be fair, I have learned a lot through online training. Like I'm doing software training through this company called lynda.com that recently sold for something like, I don't know, 200 million or something to LinkedIn. Basically, you watch videos and go through courses and you have exercise files to learn how to use various forms of software. Like, for example, Photoshop, editing, that sort of thing. And that's an example of something that it's, I don't want to say, I'm not anti-tertiary education because I think that universities and colleges teach you so much that's beyond the classroom. It's the maturity of conversations, of dialogue, of interaction, of new ideas that you're not learning just directly from the curriculum. But I don't know, I think it's increasingly hard to argue for the value of formal education when you can learn so much, sometimes from the best leaders in the world, you know, like the best people in the world from online sources like YouTube, even YouTube. There's so much stuff you can learn on YouTube. So yeah, okay. I think I think that's an example. And also some universities are doing online courses too by correspondence. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, I don't know that you're going to do it on a smartphone. I suppose you would. Or you'd link it up with your computer at the library in the local little African village or something. Um, I suppose it's something more than nothing. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the ones where he's he's on he's on track for a yes from me. All right. So far, he's scoring generally thum- thumbs up from us, qualified by his predictions not being absolutes, but being so an so extension got, of what we have now. We've got poor little Africans doing university courses on their smartphones while they desalinate their own water. With $100 robots. Farming their- Self-driven tractors. They're self-driven tractors that used to have a cow in the field, but now they just have a Petri dish in their house growing their own veal for dinner. And if one of the the fellow managers, because they aren't farmers, talks the other one about perhaps stealing a drone, he'll use the Moody's app on his phone to determine if his fellow (laughs) neighbour is lying. Yeah, but then when he comes home from a hard day on the smartphone studying at university, while monitoring his robots on the farm and he feels a bit un- unwell, his wife can diagnose him with his smartphone health checking app. But meanwhile, his healthcare provider will be downloading that information and making a note to increase his premium for the following year's renewal of his ins- health insurance because he's now got diabetes. But then he goes, <laughs> we could go on. But when his uh, premium surge, he then starts becoming depressed and then uses his 3D printer to build a gun to <laughs> try and take revenge on his neighbour, who he sees as being the root of all these problems. Yeah. But then he realises, I don't need to live next to this neighbour anymore. I can move two hours away and I can work on my university studies in my driverless car while I commute to oversee my farm. But on the way to his escape to his new residence, there's a storm and he rapidly loses power because there's no sun. He finds himself stranded, and he sets off his smartphone beacon, which also runs out of power as well. Oh. And all he has left is a gun with one plastic bullet. But no gunpowder. <laughs> but no gunpowder and no spring. So he beats himself to death with it. <laughs> he sees a, a cow come walking towards him, but not having ever seen a cow before because he's grown mm. all of his veal in a Petri dish. He doesn't know what it is. He mistakes it as the devil. (laughs) (laughs) He beats it to death with the plastic gun that he 3D printed. I think there's a movie in there somewhere. 
Yeah. You know what? This is the funny thing. I think it's called The Gods Must Be Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I think the really funny thing- With a Coke bottle. I think the really funny thing about- And that's pretty much the end of uh, Udo's predictions- I just think our little piss take just then, though, illustrates the swings and roundabouts of modern tech. You solve some problems, you create others. And good technology in bad hands can lead to bad things happening. And that note, my friend, I think we'll uh, call it a night. What do you say? Yeah, that'd be good. I think the craft beers are just running out here, so we'll have to go to another venue. All right, mate, it's been a pleasure, as always. You can't catch Phil on the social media fields because he's an enigma wrapped in a riddle. He's a man in a cloak, the invisible guardian who doesn't dare walk amongst those various social media forums. But uh, if you want to reach out to discuss this podcast app, please do. I'm Ben Phelps on all of the social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Vimeo and Anchor and Patreon. And... Please rank us. Give us a review in Apple Podcasts. Every review helps. It helps our show get ranked higher, which helps folks like you find this podcast. And that's exactly how Phil and I found our favorite podcast. So we'd really appreciate that. Okay, mate. Until next time, as always, rock on. Peace out. Be strong. Thanks, Benny. You too, mate.